0: That's a good question. I used to want to be a rock star, and uh, then I realised I had absolutely zero musical talent, so uh, that's that. But uh, I want to be a rock star with money. And uh, we're launching a series this morning, as Jared said, uh, called Like a Boss. About a month ago, I was having lunch with a buddy of mine, leads a church here in Perth. Um, I'll call him Randy, it's not his name, uh, but I do call him Randy. That's Randy the noun, not Randy the verb. Um, And Randy and I are having lunch, and we always compare notes, you know, tell us what's happening in your church, learning from each other, inspiring one another, and so on and so forth. And by the way, we live in a city where church leaders are very, very encouraging of one another and very, very open to helping each other win. And I love that about our city, that God's brought that spirit of unity. When I, because here's the thing, do you know that the church down the road, whatever church that is actually are not our competition? Our competition is Netflix, the coffee shop that you like to go to on Saturday mornings that you sometimes think, I'd probably like to go there on Sunday mornings as well. Our, our competition is every other option people have. Anyway, so I'm hanging out with Randy and uh, one of the things we talk about, like what, what, what's coming up as far as teaching series go? Like what are you gonna be teaching on for the next few months? And, and I said to him, oh, we've got a teaching series coming up on money. And he said to me, Your Money, he goes, man, I've never, ever in our church taught about money. And I'm like, What? I said, We teach about it every year. We do a series on money and stuff every year. He goes, No, I've never. I said, You've never taught a series on money. What's the deal? He goes, I, I suck at asking people to give. And I'm like, Dude, that's not what you teach about money. I mean, it's one, one of the aspects, but now you've got to zoom out. You've got to help people win with money. You've got to help people get their head around debt. You've got to help people create savings and investments. You've got to help people get financially free. And yes, understand there's a purpose in that to give. And he's like, oh, okay, never thought about that. I'm like, it's cool. You know, that's why we have lunches like this to kind of cross-pollinate. And I say, yeah, we got one coming up soon. It's called Like a Boss. And he's like, like a boss? So where did that name come from? I said, dude, my wife, Louisa, around our house, if I ever ask her to do something that she don't want to do, she just says to me, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> Which I think translates to no. <laughs> the thing that we need to understand about money is if you're not the boss of your money, then it's quite plausible that your money is the boss of you. And your money is going to make you do things that you don't necessarily want you to do and actually lead you to places that God never intended for you to go. So this series, Like a Boss, it comes down to that. And we're going to look at this area of money and stuff through the lens of becoming a boss for four weeks. And here's the deal. Every week matters. This, what we're going to do is going to be like building a four-walled house. Every wall matters, Okay. So this week matters, but this week will only make sense in the context of the next three weeks. And the same will go for next week and the week after and the week after. Because there's actually quite a few moving parts that God stitches together and says, this is how I want you to become a boss of your money. So be here. Today, we're gonna take like the flyover view and look at faith and the role that faith plays when it comes to becoming a boss of our money. Next, we're gonna talk about having a plan. Notice I didn't say the B word, budget, but I might next week, I've warned you, having a plan. We're going to talk about generosity in week three, and in week four, we're going to talk about building beyond today, about saving and investing, and what that looks like through the lens of what God has to say about it. So be here for every single one of those four weeks. And by the way, you probably know somebody that could be a friend, a family member, a colleague and they're not actually a church person, they're not actually a Jesus follower, guess what, this stuff will actually apply to their lives as well. So this might be the very opportunity that you have to invite one of your friends and say, you know what, our church is teaching about money, and they'll say, oh you're yeah, giving, right? Church just wants your money. And you would be like, no, 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 actually no. I mean, one of the weeks, sure, you can ditch that week if you want. But come for the other three, because you've got friends in your world that are in financial debt, and they don't know how to get out. And, and, and God actually gives them a roadmap, but they don't know that. And you could actually be someone that invites them and so on and so forth, leaving a legacy for your kids, not setting them up for financial failure, even if you entered adulthood financially behind. Now, money, what does it look like to you? Well, it's going to be represented by potentially a few things. It might be your wallet or your purse. This could be like, yep, money, when I pick that up, that's, that's kind of the thing for me. Could be the plastic, debit card, credit card. You'd be like, yep, that's, that's when I think of money, that's, my mind goes there, that could be your thing. Or these days, it could be this thing. Some people call it a phone. It is not a phone. It makes calls, apparently. Uh, but it does banking. You can now tap and go at many, if not most, retails. So this might be the thing that symbolises whatever item for you symbolises money in your world, our question that we're asking at the very outset is, Is do you own it or does it own you? Are you the boss of this or is this the boss of you? Because there's, that's literally the only two options. There is no neutral ground in this. Your You're money's either... Someone. You're calling someone. Calling someone. On, Louis. Probably it was her calling me because she thought I just threw under the bus with the, you know, the bus of me line. But actually she would have been very proud of me telling the world that that's the level of regard she has for me. Thank you. Thanks you for good. Well, I also turned on the, the flashlight torch as well, which I don't quite know how that happened, but maybe the phone is smart, but the operator isn't. Who knows? <laughs> Uh, Late last year, I was watching uh, a movie called All the Money in the World, and it's uh, sort of a a, a dramatised version of uh, the life of John Paul Getty, who at the time was the wealthiest man in the world, and historically is one of the wealthiest people to have ever lived. And I was fascinated to watch, just for the sake of the story, I was also fascinated to watch the, the story, just a little bit of the side thing, is they actually had finished uh, filming the, the story and it was in post-production uh, and Kevin Spacey had been the lead in the role and then allegations came out against him about uh, have, being a little handsy on set in some films in his career and uh, so they had to reshoot uh, all the scenes that Kevin Spacey, who was the lead actor in, had to reshoot them all with uh, a different actor, Christopher Wallace. I'm th- I just was intrigued to like, they didn't sort of 3G superimpose him, they actually put a new and reshoot everything. Like So I watched it, anyway. If you haven't seen it, John Paul Getty the, the main character and uh, one of the wealthiest and most frugal people to, to have ever lived. And uh, he, he, he lived in a whole uh, floor of one of the most expensive hotels in the world. Um, and, but he did his own laundry in the basin by hand and would hang his clothes up, strung out again across this palatial suite. And his son-in-law asked him in the movie and one day, how much is enough? because he's pursuing new deals and didn't really care who he ran over in the process. And uh, it was really all about him. He wasn't a great father and a great great good grandfather. How much is enough? And in the movie, the Paul Getty character simply replied, more. And I get this, because that appetite for more drives some of us to do some of the things we do. My four-year-old nephew, Isaac, more Lego is like, he spends almost every waking hour dreaming of more Lego. (laughs) He will accompany us on grocery shopping trips, which for him are the most colossally boring things a four-year-old could ever do during their waking hours because his auntie, my wife, who's the boss of our money, it seems, Will reward him with a matchbox or hot rod car or a new set of Lego at the end of this traumatic grocery shopping experience. He just wants more. Some of you, maybe you're a culinary enthusiast and you always want the next kitchen gadget that you simply must have because your food tastes crap without it. Or maybe, like Louisa, I hope I remembered to hang up, it's shoes. <laughs> it's shoes. Babe, how many pairs of shoes are enough? Her answer, more. (laughs) And then at the other end of the spectrum is something that maybe some of you spend your time uh, concerned about, not about the more, but actually about will I have enough? Some of you, I get that your current financial situation is, is you actually spend some of your days asking the question, will I have enough? Will I have enough to pay the bills? Will I have enough to pay for my kids' school fees? Will I have enough maybe to, to, to get out of the rent thing and, and, and buy a house sooner rather than later? And some of you, stage of life, you're starting to, to think and ask the question, will I have enough for retirement? And on the surface, these two uh, positions in life, being worried about, concerned about more versus being concerned about enough, on the surface, they look like they're worlds apart. I want to put it to you that if you drill a bit deeper, you'll soon discover that they have a lot more in common than you maybe first realised. Then actually, in one particular aspect that I want to highlight this morning, they are close cousins. Now, if you live under a rock you will probably have missed the global sensation Marie Kondo. Right now on Netflix, there is a very uh, petite Japanese creation called Marie Kondo. I've got a little picture of her and they've put a, a TV show up on Netflix called Tidying Up. And this little diminutive Japanese woman goes into people's homes, people who have got too much stuff, and she comes in to help them make sense of it. And she gets them to pick something up, hold it to their chest and ask the question, does it spark joy? And if it doesn't spark joy, it goes into throwing away or donating to charity. Now, by the way, uh, both in America and now in Australia, charities saying, please take this show off the network, this true story, because they cannot process the amount of stuff that's been, it's, it's a hashtag conmard conmard out of people's homes and out into the Goodwill stores. But she's not just going in to create more space for them, though she is, actually what the various people, real world people that she's interfacing with on this show, the number one thing That they can't get past is how anxious and overwhelmed they feel. That's why they need to reach out to someone else. You think, well, just get in there with a a pitchfork. They have got so much stuff that they actually are anxious and overwhelmed about it. And that's the thing that these two situations have in common. That, That, sure, we get that one. I can be anxious and overwhelmed if I don't think I'm gonna have enough. But actually, the other, having more than we need, and no purpose for it isn't a place that God ever intended for us to live either. And Jesus, the genius, tackled both of these things in one setting. And I want to airdrop us into that this morning. So if you've got our uh, app, you can tap on the Bible tile. It's going to take you to an account of an interaction of Jesus uh, that's recorded by Luke And Jesus was teaching a crowd, and I say this often, two of Jesus' biggest problems were crowd control and catering. In this case, a lot of people. And some guy yells out, Jesus finished, took a pause, took a breath, yells out to Jesus, some guy from the audience, hey Jesus, tell my brother to give me my fair share of our inheritance. Now, so he wants Jesus to kind of mediate or play policeman on his behalf. And we don't know why. We didn't know what he considered a fair share in the culture in that days. The older sibling, the older brother, would get two-thirds of the inheritance and the younger brother would get one-third. We don't know if this is the younger brother, but <laughs> I think it probably was because he's the one thinks he's getting ripped off here. So he says, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to give me my fair share. In other words, in the words of John Paul Getty, tell my brother to give me more. And Jesus tells a story. It's a story that the Bible titles the story of the greedy farmer. It's not a compliment. It's a warning. And Jesus told this story, and although it was allegorical, it was very much about this is what can happen to any of us. About this farmer who was so successful that at the end of the harvest, he filled his barns with the harvest and actually had more than his barns could contain. So what he decided to do, he thought was a genius play, is to tear down all of his barns and build bigger ones. Well, duh. sounds like good stewardship to me. Sounds like good management to me. God's blessed you with more. Build bigger barns. And then Jesus says, and then particular night when he made that knucklehead decision, God showed up and said, buddy, you're dead tonight. This is it. This is your last day on earth. What good is it for you to have built all those bonds, just for yourself. And Jesus actually wasn't attacking the guy's stuff. And some people get, oh, God's against us having stuff. No, no, Jesus wasn't attacking his stuff. He was attacking his priorities. He was, he was addressing his lack of purpose beyond his own self. And that's a problem. And then Jesus segues straight in to this. That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. And then he continued on the subject with the disciples. So he told the broader audience the story, gets with his closest buds and he says, don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or if the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your inner life than food you put in your stomach and more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your bodies. Jesus is just pointed to the problem and and the distortion of us being so fixated on getting more and not having a purpose beyond ourselves. And then he starts talking about the other to a different audience. His crew weren't building barns. They were kind of living by faith day to day, week to week. People were offering them different things, food, money, shelter. And and, and I think Jesus recognised that for them, some of their concerns weren't about we need bigger bonds, but about where's the next meal gonna come from? Where's the next night of accommodation gonna come from? And so Jesus starts to talk about that. But again, Jesus isn't talking down stuff. He's just reminding us that whilst it has a place, that place isn't number one. And our place isn't number one. There's an enormous, uh, not only... There's not only an enormous, uh, it's not only essential that we have some stuff. Having some stuff gives us opportunities that not having stuff, we'd have to forfeit. And I taught on this two weeks ago, The Road to the Good Life, the story of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan gets a lot of airplay about the compassion that he had. And then people gloss over the fact that he also had some resources to offer the guy on the side of the road. So he was both willing and able. And this is the reason that we're teaching this series Like a Boss so that you and I can become people who are positioned in such a way that we're both willing to live beyond ourselves, to see the stuff that God's blessed us with as not just something to, 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 to build bigger walk-in robes and, 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 and bigger cars and, and, and just bigger bank accounts, but actually there's a purpose for that. It's to be able to be used by God for purposes beyond our own needs and filling our barns with self and not with God. Look at the ravens, Jesus said, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, carefree in the care of God. And hey, you count far more than ravens. Now, understand when Jesus was teaching this, this was outdoors. There was no church buildings that Jesus did most of his teaching and he did it out in the world. And, and so when he referenced something, wildlife, it's because they were sitting among wildlife. So it's almost certain that in this moment, they were sitting outside and whoosh, 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 some ravens went overhead. And Jesus goes, hey, good timing. Look at the ravens. Now we don't get that. What's a, what's a raven? Who knows? I don't know. So, so let, me, let me bring it into kind of my world. Come over to my house, Louise in my house, and you walk out onto her back deck, and down in the backyard, you will see the real chickens of Kensington. Four chickens that are pretty cool. And I will say to you, look at the chickens, free and unfettered. No, that's a, that would just be awkward. Free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description. Carefree in the care of Mark and Louis. And you count far more because here's what would happen if you then ventured down to interview the real chickens of Kensington. They will tell you this. You know what? That's pretty good here. Every morning, our master trots down here in his pajamas with a big bowl of food every morning. From the day we moved in, he hasn't missed a day. Big bowl of food. Every afternoon, another bowl of food. The the other lady, she swans in occasionally with treats. She wants to be liked more, so she just gives him treats. Bad parenting, I can tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Very selfish motivation. And, uh, you know, we've actually noticed that in that shed over there, he's got like 60 kilograms of more food. And every time that gets low, he just, I don't know, some guy delivers more. So as far as we're concerned, it's pretty good. We're carefree in the care of Mark and Louis. Well, you count far more than the real chickens of Kensington. God wants you to know, and God has far more resources than I have, but I'm not going to run out, and all the more, God's not going to run out, and Jesus is talking about that. Don't worry. God's not going to run out. He values you, and because of your value, He will provide, and I understand how this happens. When you were young, dumb, and living with mom, I get it food would magically appear, clothing would magically appear, all the bills got magically paid, and all you had to do was just kind of keep breathing. Like that was your job description, just keep breathing. And you did. You kept breathing, and then hopefully, some of you in your 20s, you moved out. (laughs) And with that shock and awe move, which you thought was going to be such a genius idea, all of a sudden, food no longer magically appeared. <laughs> Clothes didn't magically show up. And bills did magically show up. And they showed up unpaid with your name on them. And it was that transition that the worry about finances begun. But we never move out of the care of God. We never move out of the provision of God. There is always more. He ain't running out. Is, it, is this microphone on? It seems like no one's actually hearing what I'm saying here. God will never run out. Now, I get that in this space, it opens up a whole new dimension for the potential for you to worry. But get this, it also opens up a whole new dimension for you to develop an aspect of your faith that you didn't have to develop when you were young, dumb and living with mom. So don't think about it as worry, think about it as a stretch goal. Think about it as, man, I now have the opportunity to work this and flex this and test this and see God come through to me in my 20s and let that build the platform for me in my 30s and let that establish me into my 40s and I wanna keep getting more generous and living with more purpose and seeing God every single step of the way being my provision. Has anyone fussing before the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? Sorry for you shorties. If fussing can't even do that, why fuss at all? Walk into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They don't fuss with their appearance. But have you ever seen colour and design quite like that? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. And if God gives such attention to the wildflowers, most of them never seen. Don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? Now, again, they were sitting among wildflowers. So Jesus goes, look at the wildflowers. We have to road trip to get to the wildflowers living in Perth. I understand that. But that actually should make this example even more obvious to why Jesus chose it is that wildflowers are incredibly obscure for us. And some of why, chances are, some of why some of you are worried that God won't provide is that you don't think you're that important. Is you think, well, oh, God, he's got so much more important things to do with his resources. So so much more urgent things. There's so much need in the world. I mean, and, and, and Jesus says, no, no, no. God's, look, he's into that. And if you feel like a wildflower, he, he's also got... Enough for you. (laughs) He doesn't have to choose between the two. So don't crop yourself out if you think of yourself as someone who's living in obscurity. Because here's the thing. God's provision isn't based on your prominence. It's based on his position. And in case you missed it, his position, he's the king. Kings don't run out. And when you make a decision to follow Jesus, you become a son and a daughter of the king. So you you now move from obscurity into the kingdom of the king who's never gonna run out. So why are we so worried? What I'm trying to do here, this is Jesus, what I'm trying to do here is get you to relax. Not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works, well, they fuss over these things. We get that. But you know both God and how he works, so you can steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. You're my dearest friends. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. Jesus is talking about two things as he finishes this story and about to drop the mic. Number one, people who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you do know both God and how he works. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus (laughs) and you're growing in the relationship with him, this should start to be like a seesaw Of the stuff you used to worry about, you worry about less. And the stuff you give your concern and attention to, you give your concern and attention to that more. We should actually worry and be concerned about different stuff than people who don't know God. Jesus is saying that. Because we know how he works. And he's not running out. And we're his kids. And he wants us to have the kingdom. A few years ago, I was in the UK. Louis and I were in the UK, and I was preaching at a church down in about an hour south of London uh, in the Surrey region, very rich uh, region, as it happens, and preaching in this uh, Anglican church there. It was pretty cool. And I was preaching on the Sunday, and so on the Saturday, we took a road trip with the vicar. Uh, He he, he doesn't call himself that, but anyway. With him and his family, we went for a day trip to Windsor Castle. And I got a picture, if you haven't been there or or if you don't know if it's very impressive, it's very impressive. Um... And uh, so we went for a day trip to Windsor Castle. it's was only about a half hour drive from where they lived. And uh, their son, who at the time was in primary school, was with us and we're walking around. And it's, it's you know, it, as you can imagine, it's pretty impressive inside and out. And uh, their son, Joel, we're going through one part. You know, things, some things are roped off and some doors are closed and you get that, okay, well, that's not for us to go in. And um, jo- there's a guy just kind of standing you know, in one of the you're not know, going past this area kind of places and Joel says to him hey uh, mister um, do, uh, do Prince William and Prince Harry do they, like, do they play in here because you know, we're not even touching and he goes oh all the time because to them this is just grandma's house I mean it's not like any grandma's house I've ever been to but they have the perspective of what it's like to be part of the royal family. This is grandma's house. We can do whatever the heck we want, unless grandma's around. But I guarantee you, William and Harry were never concerned that they were going to starve, not have clothes to wear, that someone other than them was Taking care of the electricity bill? Because they had a a mindset of what it's like to be a son and a daughter of royalty. And we are born into that family when we make a decision to follow Jesus. And so why would any of us spend our time, waste our time worrying, worrying? I'm not saying being dismissive, about the need to manage our finances well, because we're going to talk about that. But faith is the foundation of all of our perspectives and approaches when it comes to finances. And that's why we chose to teach on faith as week one, because this is not just another Tony Robbins get your financial world sorted seminar. This is a you are a son and a daughter of the king and let's live with that perspective. Let's own that. Let's make sure our boss empowers us to become the boss of what he's blessed us with.